So I want to wish everybody Chodesh Tov. And uh, I want to tell you, I'm excited for this man. This is going to be an incredible six weeks. I think some of you already gotten a taste just from the last couple of days. Um, and I'd like to dedicate this year tonight as Rav Aaron Lechtenstein, Zechot Tzadik Bivracha, Zyotzeit, our Rebbe Rosh Hashiva. I think it's pretty safe to say this yeshiva wouldn't exist if it hadn't been for Gush and Ruchensin um, and Rav Vital. Um, significant portion of the Rebbeim here learning Gush. Uh, what the Jewish world lost when Rav Luchensin went to Yeshiva Shalmala is indescribable. Um, and it was one of the great privileges of my life to have this chut, the privilege uh, to learn Torah from him. And uh, I will tell you, although this isn't, you know, when people speak of Rav Lichtenstein and the, 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 the genius, it took me years. I remember in Shana Aleph, um, he would give a, the, the Minag in Gush was there was Shir Kali every week on Tuesday afternoon. Mincha was at 3, if I'm not mistaken, and at 3.15, everybody would sit down, there'd be like a hush that settled over the basementers, you know, if you've never been to visit the Gush Basement, I encourage you to go. It's a powerful place. Hundreds and hundreds of boys sit there and learn. Um, and there's just like a, a quiet. And one week could be of Amital, and one week could be of Lechzin. Amital and Lechzin were very different in many, many ways. Um, and Rav Lechzin believed that Torah, Torah doesn't have a time limit. The shear's over when the sick is done. Like, if that's an hour, if it's three hours, whatever it might be. Um, he had the capacity and the ability to, to, to create multiple dimensions and possibilities. If there's a four-way machlokas in the Gemara between, I don't know, you know, four different tanoim, A, B, C, and D, well, if you follow A, then that would mean that the Rajma would mean this, and Tos would mean that, and Raj would mean this. And, but if you follow B, then you'd have to say differently from Rajba, and you'd have to say that the Rambam would be saying the following. And of course, if you anticipate following C, and he would go through these possibilities, then he would say, well, why would A not hold according to B? Why would B not hold? By the time you were done with the Shia, two and a half hours later, there was something like 64 different possibilities. And they were all in his head. He had this flow chart in his mind. And imagine coming into Shanalaf and trying to follow a Shia like that in Hebrew. So, you know, within 10 minutes, I mean, I was done, you know. I had to do Natil Shadayim at the end of this year, let's put it that way. It took me really until Shana Hay to be able to follow an entire shear of his from start to finish. Uh, I finally figured out that the best way to do that would be to find someone who was the Shana Aleph guy that I was back in Shana Aleph and offer to give it over to him. And uh, after a while, there was like a group of guys that I would get together and it forced me to listen to take the right notes and do Chazara. And that's really where I started to discover the value of Chazara. And that's what most people talk about. When they talk about Rav Luchtenstein, his mind and the Torah, and and you know I've shared some of the thoughts from some of his farim with you, um, but there's another aspect to Rav Luchtenstein. Rav Luchtenstein was an incredibly shy person, and I realized when I was in Shanahei that I had really no relationship with him. He knew who I was. I certainly knew who he was, but I'd never really had a conversation with him, except for maybe the rare occasion where I had a question that I somehow got up the courage to ask. Right. Um, and that really bothered me. So I came up with an idea, I'm sure I must have told you the story, but I came up with the idea that maybe I would ask to catch a ride with him. You know, we had, in Gush, we had Shear on Fridays, or at least a little bit did. And um, he would finish Shear, 10, 30, 11, whatever it was. 
And then after that, he had another Rabbi Nathan Shir, which must be recorded somewhere. They were amazing Shirim, if you can find them. Um, Avot Rabbi Nathan follows Pirkei Avos in the Gemara, and it's basically Rabbi Nathan's sort of recipe for ethics without going too deep into it. And at the end of the Shir, Avos Rabbi Nathan, he would drive back to Yerushalayim if he wasn't there for Shabbos. So I got up the courage and I asked him if I could have a ride with him to drive, you know, with a Rav. He said, sure. So I got a ride with him. Now I was expecting I'd be in the car, there'd be three, four guys, one of them would be an old guy, they'd ask a great question, you know. It was just me and him. I was sitting in the front, he was sitting there, he drove. Now I didn't have the courage to ask him a question, I didn't even thought of a question. I certainly wasn't going to ask him a question in the Gemara, even if I'd come up with one, because he'd buy, he, I, I was sure he would say, well, I don't understand the question. Did you see the Tosos in the Bible side? What? So, like, I wasn't going to ask any question. So, back then, the ride was much longer. It was a circuitous road. And it took an hour. I spent an hour in one of the most uncomfortable silences I've ever experienced in my life. I know what to do with myself. We get to Yerushalayim, and I thanked him very much for the ride. And off he drove. And I spent the rest of the day sort of thinking about what a fool I was. I had an hour with a Ruchlisim. And I didn't do anything with it. So I decided I was going to do it again the next week. But this week, I'll prepare myself. You know, I'll make sure I own the sugya backwards and forwards. I'll find a question that I can ask him. That's a good question. Maybe I'll look up a rugby Kiva Eger question. I don't remember what I did. And I'll, you know, I'll have a good question. So I asked him again the next week if I could have a ride. Sure enough, he says yes. Sure enough, I'm in the front seat, the two of us. So now I wait the appropriate amount of time and say, can I ask a question? Sure. And we had this amazing discussion. All in Lamedus and Kamara. And then we finished, and he answered the question, you know, after about 20 minutes, and we're sitting in the car, and we're just kind of driving for another uncomfortable 40 minutes. It took me, I started doing this every week, and uh, eventually he sort of warmed up. I mean, he must have figured out what I was doing. Got to the point where if he had a meeting, he would come over to me after she and say, I'm not going straight in, uh, but if you want to wait, I'll come find you, you know, whatever. And eventually, kind of the hair came down, wouldn't be the appropriate appellate for him for other reasons, but but um, oh, I'm going to go to Ganem for that one. But uh, but I started to have conversations with him, and I remember once we were driving down a particular area in Yishlaim, and he was reminiscing about when he was younger, and there was a particular story there, whatever. And I realized, like, I'd gotten to a point where I had a Kesha with him. It took a lot of work. Sometimes, what you want to accomplish is a shtablus, like. I, I, I mean, I wanted to have a relationship with him, and it took a lot of work to develop a relationship with him. Okay. But sometimes, it's not about what you do. It's about what Hashem plans. And it's clear that it's not what you do. Now, it's, if you ask me, was I meant to be in English, I would say, well, yeah. And I actually took a ride with uh, Riskin. Uh, I remember it was on the way to Birkas Achama, and he asked me what I was doing. And I said, uh, I'm, you know, next year. And I said, I'm going to Karabiyavne. And he said, well, why are you going to Karabiyavne? And I said, well, you know, I have a few friends and they're going to Karabiyavne. And I like that we're good friends. So we're all going to go to Karabiyavne. And he said, no, you should go to Gush. That's what he said to me. And I said, oh, okay. And I asked him why and he gave me the answer, which I won't repeat on tape. And uh, there's nothing to do with Karabiyavne. It's to do with me and my friends. And um, so I said, okay, I'll go to Gush. It wasn't like today where you go and you check out the yeshivas and there's a website. If your Rebbe says go to Gush, say go to Gush. I went to Gush, changed my life. I was meant to be in Gush. How do I know? Because I was in Gush, right? But then there are moments, right? But, but I wouldn't have known that at the time. I thought that, you know, I, I, I had this decision and I made the decision. 
Isn't there moments where it's so clear that a Kodesh Baruch Hu is running the world and that he's planned this? And I'll give you an example. Some of you may remember that I was in a, uh, uh, I was in a Sparrow's Pizzeria the summer of uh, 2001. It was August 9th, the 20th of Av. It's my other birthday. And um, it's a longer story that we're not going to tell now, but I have a vivid memory of walking into that pizzeria. It was about, I don't know, 10 to 2 in the afternoon, quarter to 2. I had gotten hungry. I was walking through town towards the old city uh, to clear out my office, which used to be over there, because I was going on Shlichut a few days later to Florida. And um, I was waiting in line at the counter, and I ordered a big ziti. And while I was waiting for them to make the big ziti, you know, I was kind of looking around. You know how, like, you go into a restaurant, you scope out which table you want to sit at? And that becomes your table while you're waiting in line. And nobody else can touch the table because that's where I'm going to sit. And then the big ziti comes. And I never do this. I really don't. I, my wife makes fun of me. I'm the guy who gets a raw steak and just eats it because I don't want to embarrass the waiter. For some reason, I touched the big ziti. It was cold. So I said to the waitress, like, would you mind like, heating it up? She goes, yeah. So she starts heating up the big ziti. And I'm waiting for the big Z to be heated up in the pizza oven, whatever. And, um, and there's a girl who walks in with her mom. The girl must have been around six years old. And they're standing next to the table where I'm going to sit, my table. And this girl starts having a temper tantrum. A temper tantrum like only a six, she's screaming. Like everybody in the, in, in the place, I mean, there must have been 60, 70 people in the front of the sparrows. It's like, you know, this is just not what you want to come have a pizza over. And so I made this mental decision, oh, you know what, uh, uh. Too much going on. I'll go sit in the back. There was like a few steps up to sit in the back. That six-year-old temper tantrum saved my life. I know exactly what happened to the woman who ended up sitting at that pizza table. She left this world about 20 minutes later, 10 minutes later. And then the woman behind the counter says to me, you know, you don't have to wait here. Um, just tell me where you're sitting and I'll have somebody bring you the, the big city when it's ready. I said, wow, okay, great. I took the cheesecake that I'd gotten because my wife wasn't with me in the diet. It doesn't matter when your wife isn't with you. And I went and sat in the back. Okay, good. And I, I, I went and sat in the back. A couple minutes later, this guy shows up in a sparrow's outfit, you know, with my big ziti. Um, and then I see he's talking to someone. That big ziti saved his life. For sure. He happened to be sitting a little to the left of where the steps were, which meant that there was a wall behind me, behind which were the pizza ovens, which saved my life. And at exactly two o'clock in the afternoon, I remember I was reading a book by Jim Collins called Built to Last, it's a fascinating book. I guess it worked. And uh, the largest bomb that had ever been blown up as part of a suicide bombing to date in Israel, um, this guy walked in, apparently was in a guitar case. I later obviously read up a lot on this and apparently he screamed that Allah Akbar, which is that God is great, but I didn't hear it, I was in the back room. It was the single largest explosion I've ever heard in my life. Mind you, I've been under artillery fire. Nothing like this. And um, 15 people were killed, including Malky Roth. Hannah Nechenberg is a vegetable to this day from that event, lying in a, in a home. And uh, 60 people were wounded. It was a horrific, horrific event. And I won't repeat the things that I saw. Just to give you one example, there was a girl whose body was missing for about eight hours. They finally found that she was blown up into the chimney. So they found her. One of the pizza ovens, this massive pizza, was blown out onto the street. Right? So why am I sitting here? 
sitting here because Hashem sent a six-year-old girl to have a temper tantrum. That's it. Right? Is it all a plan? Or are we meant to do something with it? You know? And I'll tell you just one last story because we have these stories all the time. We just don't always notice them. But sometimes Hashem, He doesn't just like, you know, drop a penny so that you have a, you know, the extra money that you need for the bus. Sometimes He sends a telegram and sometimes, you know, there's somebody on a loudspeaker. And um, I think I told you once a story about the first time I was ever, really the only time I was ever on the sniper fire. And uh, the guy next to me ended up lying down back to the ground in a hole in the side of his head and it took me a minute to realize that whoever was targeting us actually from the middle of a mosque 250, 300 yards away must now be trying to hit me. We were two officers walking through a field, you know, whatever. And, um, and of course later, um, and that's a longer story. If, if I didn't tell it to you and you want to hear it, you can come to me afterwards. But uh, later I thought a lot about that. As we were leaving the tanks, because we were working on the tanks, and then we were going to go back to the mess tent for, for, for breakfast, um, one of the guys dropped a maftech kis. Maftech kis literally means a pocket key, but it's this massive wrench that weighs like 20, 30 pounds for whatever, to, to work on the tanks. And it, he dropped it off the tank, and I was right there. So he said, slicha, and I said, oh, okay, no problem. And I picked it up and gave it to him. And because I picked it up and gave it to him, and the way we were walking... I ended up walking on the left, and the Samach that I was with ended up walking on the right. Now, if he hadn't dropped that Maftech Kis, then I actually would have been on the right, and he would have been on the left. And then, I guess the sniper would have hit me. So, Hashem sent this guy to drop this Maftech Kis so that I could be walking on the left. And life is like that, in every minute. And of course, this raises an interesting question, which we're going to get into in a minute. So, why do I share this with you here at the beginning of Parsha? Uh, it's actually a double Parsha. Um, purposely decided to speak about a theme that, that, that is found in both Parshio, Tazriya Matzara. The Pasuk says, right? Negatzarat, right? This is in. Uh, this is in. Parakid Gimel Pasuk Bet, right? By Deber Hashem El Moshe El Aaron Limor. Hashem speaks to Moshe and Aaron. This time it's pretty obvious why Aaron is included. Adam ki yeh ba'or b'saro se'et o sapachat o v'ayret v'ayah ba'or b'saro l'neget sarat v'uval Aaron ha'kohen o l'echad mibanev ha'konim. Somebody who has the affliction that we call sarat se'et o sapachat. We're not going to get into the details, right? Um, there are four different types of marot. They're really shtaim she'enarba, whatever. Um, so he has some sort of an affliction. And when he gets this affliction, so he's taken to the Kohen, right? Now, first of all, what is Tzarat? I'll tell you what Tzarat is not. Tzarat is not leprosy. So we may use the word leprosy sometimes because maybe it's close to what Tzarat was in some ways, but that's not what leprosy is and that's not what Tzarat is, right? Leprosy, by the way, is an affliction that can be contagious. Tzarat is not contagious, at least according to Chazal. Right? So what is sarat? Well, sarat is some form of whitening. There's a certain patch of skin which is discolored, white, yellow, whatever. There are four basic marot, four basic visions of how it looks. Uh, if there's two white hairs in it as opposed to one hair, there's this, this, this blot, this affliction on your skin. 
There are three types of nagayim. You can have one on your skin, on your person. You can have one on your clothing. And you can have one on your house, on the wall of your house. Right? And if you see this, something's wrong. Something is <coughs> off balance. So you go to the coin. And the coin has to decide if you're, if you have tarat, and therefore if you're pure or impure. Now what's interesting is, why does the tarat come? So the Rambam makes this very clear. The Rambam in Hilchos, where would I find the halachos of tarat? In Sefer, in the Rambam. <coughs> Tara, right? Good, okay? Because right? this is all about purity and impurity. So there's a section in Tara called the laws of Tumat Tzarat, right? The impurity of Tzarat. And if you look in um, Perak Tetvav, right, the 15th chapter of Tumat Tzarat, um, fascinating stuff, by the way. Um, Halacha Yud, uh, Tetzayim, 16. So, Loven or Hadam Karui Tzarat, a whitening of the skin is called Tzarat. It's an interesting question of whitening of skin, whitening of hair. Why do you think, when you see a person's hair become white, what do you know about him? He's getting older. He's getting closer to death, right? When you look at grass, and the grass turns yellow or white, what does it mean? The grass is dying, right? So white on a person's body is a symbol of death. And there's a message here that maybe the life you've been giving is, is not being utilized properly. And if you're given a gift and you don't use it properly, then you don't deserve the gift. You don't deserve to live anymore. Now, what would give you such a serious reaction? So the Ramam says, right? The Pasuk says, He shamer Be careful of Tzarat. Remember what happened to Miriam. Now, what happened to Miriam? Miriam was punished with Tarat. Why was she punished with Tarat according to Chazal? Because she spoke Lashonar about Moshe Rabbeinu. Right? Now, reminding you that there are three types of forbidden speech in the realm of Lashonar. There is Rechilos, which is innocent Gaza. There is Lashonar, which is true, but it's negative. And then there is Motishemra, which is a lie that's negative. Right? False and negative. So Miriam clearly is not speaking Motishemra. Because he wasn't just speaking Rechilas. She was saying something which was true, which she perceived, or they perceived to be negative, for whatever the reasons. Right? <coughs> so he says, we see from this, Obviously the person is telling me, look at what happened to Miriam, a Nevia, a prophetess. She was speaking about her brother, and she was older than him. And she raised him on her knees. She risked her life to save him in the Nile River. And she didn't speak negatively about him. She wasn't purposely trying to... The day of the Rambam is that what happened was she compared him to other Nevi'im. She said, he's a Navi, we're a Navi, whatever. Right? And he didn't mind. She wasn't offending him. He's Moshe Rabbein. Right? He's not offended. He doesn't need that. And even though she's his older sister, she's a prophetess, he owes her everything. She risked her life for him, and she only made a mistake, she's immediately punished with Sarat. 
קל וחומר לבני אדם הרשעים הטיפשים שמרבים לדבר גדולות ונפלאות. How much more is a normal person who's stupid enough to speak Lashon Hara worthy of such consequence? We don't begin to understand the impact of speaking Lashon Hara. We don't begin to understand how much damage it does to the fabric of society, right? It's a horrible thing. By the way, where else do I find Lashon Hara in the Torah? This is interesting. Where else? Come on. Who speaks Lashon Hara and gets Sarat? Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu says, right, you know, they're not going to believe me. He speaks negatively about the Jewish people. He says, they're not going to believe me. They're not going to know that I came to redeem them. Why do you speak negatively about the Jewish people? How do you know? So Hashem says, put your hand in, your, in, in, the, in the breast of your shirt. right? And his hand had tzarat. Whatever the affliction of tzarat is. Right? Derech tzarat, says Rashi, liyot levana. The way of tzarat is to be white, because it symbolizes death. Right? Rashi says, Moshe Rabbeinu was speaking Lashon It was an illusion to him. Hashem wants to know you just spoke Lashon Hara. Just like Miriam. Now let me ask you a question. What's the problem with Tzarat? If I say something negative about Caleb here, right? So what's the problem? What's the problem with doing that? Let's say it's true. You know? I say, I don't know... Uh, I say, Caleb's from Los Angeles. Yeah, from Los Angeles. Well, you can't take somebody from Los Angeles, right? Okay. So we say, Caleb's from Los Angeles, and everybody here hates Los Angeles. Now we've spoken So What's the problem with that? What's the problem with that? What's the problem with that? So I said something that is true. What's the big deal? It affects your perception. Yeah? Pardon? Well, you've changed. Well, okay, fine. So let's say I say that Caleb, uh, I don't know, used to be a good-looking guy. Now he doesn't shave. He's scruffy, right? Okay? So that's not a nice thing to say, but it's true. Right? Takes one to know one, right? Right? Okay. So now, you know, maybe you're thinking about hiring Caleb because you need a new PR person in your computer firm. You say, okay, I don't want a scruffy guy. Forget it. So I've changed your impression of him. Right? I've, I've, I've given you a negative perspective of someone instead of allowing you to develop your own healthy opinion. Maybe I've embarrassed him. Right? So that's a problem. So if that's the case, ask me a question on the piece of Torah I just shared with you. Moshe speaks Lashonar about the Jewish people. Why is that a problem? Who's he talking to? Kosh Baruch Hu. You can't say he affected a Kosh Baruch Hu's image or perception of Amisal. He's a Kosh Baruch Hu. Right? And nobody else is hearing this. So what's the problem there? Give me an obvious answer. Who's being affected by this? He is. Lashonara is not just about the other person. When you speak negatively about a person, you're affecting your perception. You're undermining your spiritual growth. So that's Lashonara. Okay. So if that's the case, when I get Lashonara, right? right? So I get Sarat, and I've got this affliction, Something's off balance. Here's your question. You're sitting in the base of Medrash. You know, maybe you're, you're, you're late to Shear. Okay? You're late to Shear. And you come running into the base of Medrash. Right? It was... Okay. 
and you're, you're late this year, and, and you're running into the stairs, and you slam your toe into the wall. And you break your toe. Anybody ever break their toe? I broke my toe once. It's a horrible experience. It is so unbelievably painful. You know that expression, you see stars? I never understood that. I actually experienced that. It was unbelievable. I thought I was going to throw up. I thought I was going to fall. It sounds so silly. It's just a toe. I mean, like, you know, you've been in combat. What's a toe? Unbelievable. I don't know what nerves a Kushbrook will put in the toe, right? And I had made a mistake. I was wearing my, 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 my flip-flops, whatever it was. I was running to get my son. I was late picking him up, whatever. He was a kid then. Unbelievable. I could not walk. I just sat down. You know, somebody said, are you okay? You know, what's the matter? You can't say to someone when you're in agony, I stubbed my toe. You feel like an idiot, right? You know, it's just not cool. There were five of them. They took me down, but I stubbed your toe. Unbelievable. Now, if that happens to you, so something's off balance. The toe leads the foot. It was my right toe. Where am I going in life? I don't know. Let's think about something. Okay. But when all that calms down, what do you also got to do? You got to go to the doctor because you got a broken toe. Do you set it? Does it have nothing to do? You go to Proctor. Take an x-ray. I don't know. No, don't go to the doctor. Go to the Cohen. Oh, you have, a, you have a broken... Well, let's see what's wrong with your toe. Anos dominos sanctimos. Let's light some incense. Why are you going to a Cohen? Go to a doctor. By the way, when I say you go to a Cohen, what does it mean that you go to a Cohen? It's not just that you go to a Cohen. It's that the person who has an affliction cannot be diagnosed as having tzarat unless a Kohen diagnoses him. The Sefer Chinuch and the Rambam point this out very clearly, right? Sefer Chinuch, his Lashon is really, right? One second, see if I can find it. Story of my life. Avala Tuma Ve'atara Biyad Kohen. Ketzad Kohen She'ino Yodel Lirot. Let's say... I don't know, we're up in the Golan. And there are no corny around. They all went down for Cholmoy for Bechus Konyim. So there's only like a guy, but he's like a Balchuva coin. He thinks he's a Khan. He doesn't know what he's doing. So you go over to him and you say, you know, I think I got this affliction. It's Tarat. He goes, what's Tarat? Ooh, what do you do? So Rav Luchensin is walking by. She says, oh, Baruch Hashem. So you go to Rav Luchensin. So Rav Luchensin, you know, I have this thing on my hand. Is this Tarat. He starts to talk about, oh, that's a very good question. You know, is it a seit? Is it a pachat? Maybe we have to do a suffix. Is it maret sahov? Is it a mokmina krum shalabetza? Whatever it is, right? So he says, well, just tell me about, oh, I can't tell you if it takes a lot. You need a coin. He says, well, only coin there is that guy. He's sitting in the corner there, you know, I don't know, smoking weed, and uh, he doesn't know from Adam. Rafael says, don't worry. So he goes over the coin. He says, listen, come with me. I'm going to tell you what to say. And you say, tell him he has vizen negatarat, whatever the lashon is, and then he has tarat. That's ridiculous. That is the halacha. Ferris in the Rambam. What's the game? Obviously, it has to be it. Why does it have to be a coin? Right? Wait, first let's just lay out the question. Okay? So, why does it have to be a coin? Right? And what are these strange symbols? white hair and so on and so forth. Why is death such a part of this piece? So I want to share with you, right? And, and maybe one last question. There's a fascinating halacha that the Rambam Paskin is based on the Gemara. What happens if it's not clear? Sometimes you look at it, it's not a mega. 
Sometimes you look at it, it is a nega. Sometimes it's not clear. I'll give you an example. The size of the nega has to be the size of a gris. Without going too deep into it, the gris is, um, Rashi told it's basically 36 hairs. It's a tiny thing. It's like the size of a thumbnail, right? Well, what if you're looking at the grit and you're not sure if it's a gris? Because the shape is odd. Is it the Torah of the gris? So what does a coin say? Coin says, okay, you have to be closed off from society, outside of the machaneh, or stuck in your house for the next seven days. At the end of seven days, I'll come back and we'll look at it. If it grew, well, then we know it's sarat. And then you're tummy until it goes away and whatever happens, right? But if it didn't grow and it got smaller, then you don't have tzarat. What happens if it didn't grow, but it didn't get smaller? Anybody know what you do? This is what the Ramam says. Um, I can find it. Um, sorry. This round by one second. Oh, it's a paragraph. Second, sorry. <laughs> paragraph halacha yud. Ram says like this, right? Lo mm-hmm. If the gris didn't have a white hair in it, v'lo mechia yisager shivat yamim. It doesn't have all of the siman in it. It's a size, but it's not. So then he has to be closed off for seven days. Ubashvi iroeu im lo lad b'beheret se'al levan lo mechia oshe pasta that spread. Then it's clear that it's a negatarat. Right? There's not like live skin. There's no white hair. It hasn't spread. Then he has to be closed up for another week. Now what happens at the end of the second week? If again it doesn't grow, what happens then? Well, take a guess. Hmm? He's done. Even if it's exactly the way it was at the end of the first week, at the end of the second week, he's done. <coughs> at the end of the second week, either it's definitively tzarat or he's done. Why? Why do you need this? If you have a nega, then you have a nega. Let the coin come. See, it's a nega. Why would Hashem do that? So, Sefer Akino quotes the Medrash and Medrash Rabbi. I want you to understand how deep this is. <coughs> You're looking at a person's palm or shoulder or under his armpit or behind his neck. There's a little patch of white skin. And you're looking to see if there's a white hair. And this is beyond the purview of our discussion, but the white hair in the Torah is actually the Limon and the Gemara. It really means two hairs. So that's has to be two white hairs. There's only one white hair. It's not Sarat. There's two white hairs, it's Sarat. Can you imagine? You know, this, uh, I don't know, you're in a yeshiva high school, and there's an 11th grader, and he's really struggling with Judaism. I don't know why we do all this stuff. And then he learns about this. Or maybe the basic mix is built, and, you know, his dad, the Kohen, comes to the house, and he's looking at the guy, you know, he's got the microscope out, and he's looking and say, is there one white hair or two white hairs? Like, you look at the guy like he's out of his mind. One white hair, two white hairs. What does that even mean? Listen to this. This is deep. Ready for deep? Ready for deep? This is deep. Only one line. Ein lecha kol nima v'nima. 
Shalom Barala HaKadosh Baruch Guma. Every single hair, Hashem created a follicle to hold the hair. And that follicle was part of the fabric of creation from the dawn of time to be on your arm waiting for that hair to grow. The matter has a different piece in this. Every single follicle of hair has a purpose in this world. One white hair, one white hair, makes the difference. You ever get like a, who here has glasses? Some of you have glasses, right? You ever get like a hair in your glasses? And it's like annoying, but you can't quite find it because you're looking at it and you look at it and you don't see it. Imagine what it's like when the hair gets white. It's, it's, not, it's, it's not even visible. You know? It's, it's like you're sitting in a room and there's uh, the, the guy that I go to who cuts my hair, the barber, when I can't get my wife to do it. So, you know, he has like a nice barber shop in Efrat and he's got white, um, like, tiles, marble tiles, right? So if your hair falls on the ground, you don't see it. It's very clever that he did that, right? Maybe he gets older clients. If he had younger clients, he would have a black <coughs> tile, I guess, whatever, fine. Can't see it. It's not significant in the realm of the world. But this white hair is meant to give a message to this fellow that something is seriously wrong in his life. Every single hair, every single drop of rain, it all has a purpose in this world. It's meant to teach us something. Listen to what this, this, the Sefer Achinach says, and then we'll finish. Sefer Chinuch, we don't know exactly who Sefer Chinuch was. We know that he was a late Rishon. We know that he wrote this book in honor of his son's bar mitzvah. It's an incredible work. You want to take on a learning project which will carry you deep into college, which will be very meaningful, I highly recommend this. It goes according to the Parashiyot HaShavuah, which means if you study a mitzvah, right, it's a, basically a, a listing and a deep discussion about every mitzvah in the Torah, according to the Sefer Chinuch. Right? So obviously there's only two in Breshit. Right? And there's none in Lech Lecha because there's no mitzvah in Lech Lecha, even though there's an important story. In Kitetze, there's like 70 plus and so on and so forth. And for every one of those mitzvah, he has a recipe. First he says, here's what the mitzvah is. Then he says, here's the shorish, here's the deeper understanding of the mitzvah. And then he says, these are the basic laws of this mitzvah, right? Well worth it. A, a fantastic way to get a broad scope understanding of the mitzvahs in the Torah. Anyway, so he's talking about the mitzvah of Tzarat, right? There is a mitzvah of Tzarat. We don't think of Tzarat as a mitzvah. It's a mitzvah. What's the mitzvah of Tzarat? What do you think? It's one of the 630 mitzvahs. What's the mitzvah? What do you think? Maybe to check yourself every day? What's the mitzvah? Come on. When you get Tzarat, what do you have to do? You have to go to the coin. How does he describe this? Likvoa binyana Tzarat. One second. There's a mitzvah if you have tzarat to go to a coin and the coin will tell you how to behave and whatever the coin tells you to do, you do. Think about how many deep ideas are included in that. First of all, you accept Torah Shabbat. Second, you accept the authority of the coin. And then if a coin tells you to do something, you do it and so on and so forth. Right? Okay. So, velo Part of this mitzvah is a is that you shouldn't make the mistake of thinking this is just an illness. 
It's just a coincidence. I just bang my toe. It doesn't mean anything. No. Take a moment and realize that there's something wrong. You've made mistakes in your life. There's something off <coughs> balance that you need to fix, that Hashem is telling you to do. And he quotes the passage we started this year with. Now he comes to the second part. This is what the mitzvah is all about. The root of this mitzvah. To uh, set in our hearts. To know that Hashem is involved in each of our lives. That He watches us. That He cares about what happens to us. That's what Hashgacha means. That He's looking out for us. Hashem sees everything. And that what you do makes a difference. I don't know if you remember this, but before Rosh Hashanah, um, one of the ideas that came up in a Shia before Rosh Hashanah is that this is Yom Adin. Rosh Hashanah is the day of judgment, justice. But it's a simcha, it's a, it's a Yom Tif. It breaks Shiva, right? So we don't say Chag Sameach because it's a little scary being judged, but it's a Yom Tif. And you're supposed to be happy. You're not allowed to, there's no availus, there's no mourning. Why? Why are you happy on Rosh Hashanah? Because Rosh Hashanah is the day where we're judged. Rosh Hashanah is the day Hashem says, that what we do matters. There's nothing more powerful than to know that what you do matters to someone that you care about. <coughs> to someone who loves you, right? And he goes on. And he says, Therefore Hashem warns us that this holy, this illness, this imbalance is a message Hashem is giving you that something's wrong. And this normally comes about through Lashon Arab. What a gift. Now here's an interesting question. There are three types of Tzarat. Tzarat Adam, Tzarat Abai, Tzarat Bagadim. Right? Not in that order. Now when you get to the Tzarat of, of, of houses, so the Pasuk says, I mean, I find this in which case I'll just, uh, right? The Pasuk says, Ki Tavoel Ares. When you come to the land of Israel, right? Then, Ki Tavoel Eretz Kanam, when you get to Eretz Israel. This is in Perak Yud Dalad, Pesach Lam Dalad. Sharon Noten Lachem. Then I'll give you a gift of Tzarat. <laughs> That's what the Pesach says. When you get to Islam, I'll give you Tzarat. Thank you very much. What do I need Tzarat for? By the way, if you go into a house in Tinek, Nebuch, right? And, where are you laughing? LA, right? And, and there's this white blotch on the wall. It looks like mold, according to most of the Farshim. And you suddenly say to yourself, what if this is Tzarat? Should you take it seriously? Do you know what the answer? If you call me up and say, listen, I just moved into this apartment. A week after I got here, it looks like there's Tzarat on the wall. I tell you, call a plumber, it's not Tzarat. How do I know it's not Tzarat? Because the Pesach says, this only occurs in Eretz Israel. Well, why is it only with this? No Lashon Aron Trust me, unfortunately. Plain Lashon Aron So, I thought this was the Ramban. I went looking for it this afternoon. I didn't have time. I didn't find it. So if somebody finds it in the Ramban, I'll feel good to be vindicated. But perhaps I'm wrong. But I think I saw this many years ago in the Ramban. The Ramban says, you don't understand. Tzarat is a gift. It's a siman ki Hashem sar It's a siman that you've become distant from Gosh Baruch Something's wrong. Now that's a gift. My father-in-law, many, many years ago, um, he was a radiologist. He worked in uh, Hadassah in Karim. And um, 
Every day he would take the bus, and he came back at the end of the day from the bus, he would walk up the hill to his house where they live in Yerushalayim, right? He was already in his 50s, he came here sort of later, he didn't come when he was young like I did, but he realized, like, if he doesn't come now, he's never going to get here, he wanted to watch his grandchildren grow up, and so he came. And he found a job, and Adasa is a radiologist. And he's walking up the, the hill to the house, and he feels like a little tightness in his chest. Now, you and I, if we felt a little tightness, we didn't think about it, cramp, I was working out, but he's a radiologist, he's a doctor, and he says, I shouldn't be feeling this, something's wrong. So he turns around that day, he doesn't go home and say, I had a funny thing, I'm going to check the doctor. He turns around and gets back on the bus and goes to the hospital. And he says, no, I want you to check me out, I had a tightness in my chest. Now normally a guy comes in and says, it's okay, it's probably muscle. But he's a radiologist on staff, if he asks, you do it, he's a senior professor, fine. So they check him out, turned it out, turned out that his... Um, that his heart needed a triple bypass, that two of his, I'm going to get the terminology incorrect, were like 87% blocked. And if he would have waited any longer, that tightness of the chest was a gift. Shem gave him a gift. But the reason that gift was valuable was because he was sensitive enough to notice it. Now, no offense to anybody, and no one should take umbrage at this, but if you're living in, in, in schmutz, then a little bit of dirt, you don't notice it. So, Nebuch, you're living in, I don't know, Teaneck, Los Angeles, Brooklyn, right? So you're in Gauls, you're in exile. It's such a mess there, we're so spiritually lower than where we need to be, that we don't even notice it. It's like if you fall asleep and you have an alarm clock, it wakes you up. But if you're, you know, in the train station and trains are coming and going, you don't even hear the alarm clock. In order to be in, a, in an environment where we can be spiritually sensitive to these messages, we have to be in such a spiritual environment. That's an energy show. Okay. So what happens? It's not clear to you. You have a sapachat, but it's not growing, but it's not going away. So the, so the coin says, okay, you got to be, the Torah says, you got to be in Isgar for seven days. Seven days you have to sit in your house. So you're stuck in your house now for seven days, right? Right? Well, give me a nod or a no. Yeah, no, of course not. A Jew is never stuck. A Jew is sent. You now have been given a gift of seven days. And the coin says, you need to do something. What do you need to do with those seven days? If the seven days are over and it hasn't grown, but it hasn't disappeared, you're going to have to do it again. What is it you want? What do you hope? What's the result you want at the end of seven days? You want it to go away. You want to go back to your life. So what do you do? You're just waiting to see what God does? No. Something's wrong. What are you going to do about it? How can a person do something to affect the outcome of these seven days? What do we call that? Chuba. You've got to figure out where you got off balance. How do you get back to who you're supposed to be? And if seven days pass and you still haven't done it, he gives you another chance. But if you still didn't get it, then you're never going to get it. Why do you go a coin? Because this isn't a physical malady. This is spiritual imbalance. And Sarat is a message for life. It's, it's the challenge that exists in the world around us all the time. It's, it's the broken toe. It's the plane you missed. <clears throat> it's the canceled flight. It's the schnitzel that wasn't where, there at dinner. Any t- 
time you experience something that is off balance, there's a reason for it. And very often we look to pin that reason on anything but ourselves. This is the continuation of the shir we gave on Yom HaShoah. It's his fault, it's their fault, stupid airline. This mitzvah is telling us, take a pause. Something's happening in your life. There's a reason for this. Figure it out. You might not get it right. Don't be arrogant enough to assume I will figure out the answer. But go through the process. It will be the most valuable process that you have. Because it's about you figuring out who you are and who you need to be. That is the message of Tzarat. That's what Tazriya Mitzorah is all about. Why do you think Tzarat is included in the Parsha of Yishaki Tazriya of Yaldah What does that have to do with having a baby? Because as soon as a child comes into the world, he begins a journey. She begins a journey. And in that journey, Hashem sends messages all the time. Are we sensitive enough to hear them? You know? This whole country is going through this, this tremendous challenge. Pro-reform, anti-reform, judiciary, not judiciary, terrorism in Bachutz. There's a tumult. The, the, the Medina is in Chunt. There's something going on. There's something off balance. Instead of spending all this time blaming each other why you're off balance or I'm off balance, what do we need to work on? Why are we seeing this? What are we meant to take away? What are we meant to do? And that's this man. This man, Kayat's man, is a chance. It's the last chance some of you may have to really inculcate this in your life. You're, you're in an environment which relative to some of the environments you're going to go to without casting aspersions is a holy place. You're in Eretz Israel. You're in the old city of Yerushalayim. You're in a base member. You're learning Torah. You're, 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 you're becoming more spiritually sensitive. Use this place in your life, this time in your life, to become sensitive to the messages that are around you and decide what you're going to... Everybody here has something in their life that could be more balanced. Take the opportunity to think about it. This is the week to do that because this is the week of Tazrim So that's a little bit of food for thought on the parish of Tazrim Um